Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the nation's number one program for you as a family caregiver. How are you doing? How are you holding up? What's going on with you? More than 65 million Americans right now are serving as a family caregiver. Are you one of them? If so, you're in the right place. And if you want to be a part of the program, if you've got something you want to share or comment or whatever, go to hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form there. And whatever's on your heart, if you want me to email you back, I'll try to do that. If you want me to call you from the program, I'll try to do that. Whatever is on your heart, I encourage you to reach out. You know, we caregivers struggle with isolation. It's one of the biggest issues we face. And the disease of our loved one or the impairment of our loved one often lends itself to isolation for a lot of reasons. Some of it because of logistics, others because behavior can be very embarrassing Uh, A friend of mine is a mother of two children with autism, and taking her small child to go get a haircut was difficult. I mean, imagine that, putting scissors around a kid with autism around his his face. And she wanted to, he had a meltdown while he was getting a haircut, and she wanted to have a t-shirt on that says, don't judge, it's autism. Because, you know, people don't know, and and people can be difficult when they see things that they don't understand. And so sometimes we caregivers isolate ourselves just to avoid that. But none of those are good things. If you go back and look at Genesis, they, the first thing that God's eye, Milton said this, the first thing that God's eye said that was not good was that man was alone. That was before man fell. And, you know, being alone, God himself said, that's not good. And yet we caregivers try to do this alone. And that's not good. So what can we do about it? Well, we can reach out to one another. We have these conversations. That's why I do this program. And I'm very grateful uh, for all of the networks and affiliates that carry this program, American Family Radio, Truth Network, His Radio, and so many other affiliates around the country that run this program. And I'm very grateful to them because for the vast majority of my journey as a caregiver, now in my 36th year, man, I I didn't have any kind of support system like like what we're offering here. And quite truthfully, there really is no other support system like what we're offering here on this program. A lifetime of experience to offer a lifeline to fellow caregivers to learn concepts and precepts and strategies and biblical principles on how to navigate this a little calmer, a little healthier, and dare I say it, a little more joyfully. And so if this is where you are, we are glad to have you as part of the program. If you're struggling in this area, you're in the right place. So thank you for being a part of what we're doing. I want to talk a little bit about two words today you can find in Scripture, Psalm 37. The first two words of that sentence, uh, fret not, (laughs) fret not, fret. Isn't that a great word? Fret, fret not. Over evildoers, that's what he says. And David says in Psalm 37, I believe it's David that wrote that. Fret not. How much fretting do we do as caregivers? What's our life like on a daily basis when it comes to stress and anxiety and angst and all those things? And I'm reminded of a teacher I had in high school. Now, I was not the best student. I freely admit this. I graduated. Thank you, Laudy. And chemistry was a daunting subject for me on a good day. <laughs> and my teacher's name, and I really liked this guy personally. I actually uh, would 
sometimes on lunch break, we'd play chess and I was learning to play chess and I beat him a time or two, my chemistry teacher there in high school, but his name was Mr. Fail. I kid you not. His name was Mr. Fail. How's that for a teacher's name? And you go into his classroom and he had a great sense of humor, wonderful teacher, wonderful human being. I just was not a good pupil for chemistry. That was just not my subject. I did, did well in history and things such as that in English and but not in chemistry um, or physics. And he taught physics too, but he had a sign over the chalkboard. Now, by the way, for those of you who don't know what chalkboard is, it's an ancient teaching device that was used <laughs> many, 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 many years ago. Uh, also, if you ran your fingernails down it, it would provide a, a suitable torture device as well for many, but Mr. Fail had this sign over his uh, chalkboard as you walked in the room and said, flunk now, and avoid the rush. Flunk now and avoid the rush. And I thought it was per particularly funny, but it has stuck with me all these years, that sign. And just the, you know, I know it's a funny, it was meant to be funny. And I know this got a comical message, but it, it stuck with me. And I think that for me, that sign just becomes increasingly relevant in my life as a caregiver because accepting reality and not delaying the inevitable can become a path of wisdom rather than a depressing conclusion. I'm not advocating that students go out and flunk classes early, but the principle of it is as caregivers, we, we place unreasonable demands on ourselves to achieve or alter things that we can't change, you know, and despite extensive striving, and we do a lot of that. I do. I don't know about you, but I do. And colossal anxiety. And I do a lot of that too. Caregivers will inevitably flunk at changing most of the things that we worry about. We're going to flunk this. We're not going to change these things. But that doesn't stop us from fretting. We fret, fret, fret. And embracing that premise of flunk now and avoid the rush, except reality now. It does allow a greater peace of mind today to realize we're not going to change this. Now, I passed high school chemistry, barely, <laughs> barely. But Mr. Fail's most important lesson to me, decades later, had really nothing to do with formulas in education. I don't think I can remember any chemistry formulas. Um, Nothing comes to my mind. You try it. I don't think it. I can't think of it. But a simple sign that he had in his classroom, it was men in jest, communicated a greater truth that still helps me bleed off stress. A lifetime later, rest now and avoid the crash. That's what that sign says to me. Rest now and avoid the crash. We face challenges better when we're not exhausted by fretting. Don't you agree? Fretting is exhausting. It is truly exhausting to fret and to stay torqued up. Try it for an hour and you'll, be, you'll, you'll want to take a nap. I mean, it is exhausting. And yet we constantly do this to ourselves. Hank Aaron. Baseball great, Hall of Famer, baseball great, Hank Aaron. 
he said a quote that I, I really like. He said, the pitcher has got only a ball. He said, but I got a bat. So the percentage in weapons and is in my favor. And I let the fellow with the ball do all the fretting. Now they say that hitting a fastball in major league is one of the toughest things in all of sports to be able to do. But here's Hank Aaron, home run King, Hank Aaron. Uh, just an amazing towering individual on the national landscape. And he's not, Freddie, when he gets into the batter's box, accomplishing the hardest thing that you can do in sports, which is to hit a fastball, a major league fastball. He said, I'll let that guy do all the Freddie. I think Hank Aaron was onto something. Maybe we don't have to get into the batter's box and face the things that a lot of people say would be very daunting. Maybe we don't have to fret over those things. Maybe we can just relax into it and swing away put the bat on the ball you know you put the bat on the ball speaking of baseball you put the bat on the ball three times out of ten i mean they'll put you in the hall of fame three out of ten putting this unreasonable pressure on us to achieve perfection or to achieve some kind of result that is beyond our abilities it, it cripples us and it compromises our ability to live a healthier life and it's always healthy caregivers that make better caregivers we're going to talk about this a little bit more. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Let us know what you think at HopeForTheCaregiver.com. We'll be right back. In a world where no one can tell us no. To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in His image. A place where Facebook and YouTube have no control. I think the command in scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A place where we can no longer be canceled. When the scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries, and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then, as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you are with us here on American Family Radio, as well as the Truth Network, His Radio, and all of our other affiliates. We're glad to have you a part of the journey of helping caregivers stay strong and healthy while taking care of someone who is not. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And while you're out at Hopeforthecaregiver.com, take a look around I've put out some of the recent articles that I've written. I'm very grateful that a lot of different folks choose to publish my my stuff, and I like to write, and they seem to be willing to keep publishing it. So there's a couple things out there. Tribune Media has picked up and put in a bunch of their family of publications, um, New York Daily News and so forth. They're part of that family, and they carry some of my things. Uh, The Washington Times, I don't really go into the political world too much as a writer. I feel like there's, you know, there's plenty of people doing that. They don't need my two cents, but I do try to speak to things in that world from a caregiver's point of view. And there's one out there that I think that you'll find meaningful. It's about elected officials who just refuse to retire. Have you noticed that? And they're serving way past their abilities and, and this is not new. I mean, you know, we see this a lot in today's 24 news cycle, but this actually started uh, many, many, many years ago. Uh, one glaring example is Woodrow Wilson, who was basically incapacitated for the latter part of his presidency, but nobody knew it except the inner circle. I'm sure it was an open secret to a lot of the folks in Washington, but his wife, Edith, pretty much ran the show. And she admits it. And I wrote about this in this column that the Washington Times published. And in fact, Woodrow Wilson is one of the reasons we have the 25th Amendment. But as a caregiver, you understand the trap that we can fall into with enabling. You know, this is something we've talked about on this program a lot. And a lot of people are propped up way beyond their capabilities. Uh, Strom Thurmond, I'm from South Carolina, and Strom Thurmond was seen at a reception pocketing buffalo wings into his suit jacket pocket. And the barbecue sauce, the sauce, whatever, was dripping out of his jacket pocket at a big reception. At the time, he was fourth in line to the presidency. Another guy from uh, Georgia, I don't know if you remember this, back in 2010, but he was at a congressional hearing and they were talking about building up a, a number of marines on the island of guam and this representative who is still in congress may i remind you of this you know interjected and he was concerned that the surplus population in the island of guam would cause the island to tip over i kid you not look it up i kid you not And so we see these kinds of things happening, and there's this enabling component. Now, we know the stories of of drug-addicted rock stars who went out on stage and and, and all kinds of stuff. And there's always this bunch of people seems to be around them that's fueling this on because they're making money off these people. They send them out there to do it, but they're making money off of them. They're in power because of it, and they're reticent to have an intervention and say it's time to step off the stage. And it'd be like killing the the goose that laid the golden egg. 
And so these poor folks are sent out there to continue doing this. You can look at the news today and see it for yourself. See the ones who are being propped up. And it's not limited to politics. You see it in churches. You see it in universities. You see it in every walk of life. The difference is in politics, when you have elected officials, particularly national figures, they have an impact on the nation's security and economic health. And they make decisions or their staffers are making decisions for them. You know, and Edith Wilson said in her biography, my memoir is called, she said, I made sure that, you know, I didn't do anything. I didn't sign anything or I didn't do anything, to, but I, I was the one that was vetting what went to the president. Well, by vetting what goes to the president, she's already changing things. She's deciding. And nobody voted for Edith Wilson to be president. They voted for Woodrow Wilson. And so that's the kind of thing that we as caregivers can spot a little easier than some because we live in that world. We have folks that are impaired. We've had the conversation of taking away the keys. Sometimes we even take away the remote control to the DVD. And yet there are people with that level of cognitive impairment that are in our nation's corridors of power. You know, so much of what goes on in our country, 90% of this, Milton Friedman said this years ago, 90% of this could be solved by term limits. But how do you get people to vote themselves out of a job? And that's not going to happen. And I, I don't know the answer to this. I could just illuminate the issue from a caregiver standpoint, and I think the people who are family members of these elected officials really are the most culpable. They know. They know their loved one is impaired, but they're propping them up, sending them out there in front of the lights and doing all this stuff just so they can stay in power or further their agenda. You go read your papers, look at the evening news, you don't have to do more than you know five minutes on a Google search, and you'll start seeing who these individuals are. And there's no way to hold them accountable at this point. I mean, there's nobody out there clamoring for this to stop with any kind of teeth to it. It's just partisan whatever. But I felt the need to write about it, so I did. And see if you like the article right next to that one. is another one I write for a, an organization called the Aquila Report. It's a publication and it deals with a lot of um, doctrinal theology stuff that goes out into the PCA and the Reformed theology world. And um, the editor there, Dominic Aquila, who's been on this program, he's very gracious to publish my stuff. And I've got one that was prompted by a call to this show, you know, because I always ask callers, how are you feeling? And I remember this caller, she, you know, started off with, I'm blessed, but, and then she lost into this real diatribe against her mother. And, and I'm not so sure, I'd have to go back and listen to the call, but I'm, I'm not so sure she didn't say, I'm blessed, but I hate my mama, you know, kind of thing. And it was visible, I mean, not visible because it was radio, it was palpable, <laughs> even through the radio lines. I just used a $5 word from the $5 word box. You know, but you could tell her demeanor changed, but the issue was not the the feeling she had towards her mother, this is why I wrote the article, it's the fact that she leads off with this spiritual God talk. And and I don't think that we, in our bifurcated society, which is, hey, how about that word? 
which is straining already to have any kind of, you know, peaceful conversations, that we need to have this God talk. I think people need and want and and deserve, quite truthfully, just plain speech. I mean, I think about all the doctors that have helped me with Gracie over the years, well over a hundred physicians that I could go through and just list, and then all the ones that were on call or whatever. And I always appreciated the doctors who didn't try to talk over my head. You know, they, they, they just talked to me like normal. And they didn't use a lot of fancy words to put me in my place or to sound more whatever. They just helped me understand what was going on. And, I, you know, for those of you with chronic medical conditions, I know you've been in that situation. And how much do you appreciate that? You know, when somebody does talk over your head or when you get a bureaucrat that's trying to tell you all the forms you got to sign and they just, did you feel like this? Did you feel like this, this, the D2293, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, come on, just talk like a normal person. Well, do we do that with our faith? Do we do that with matters of the heart? If not, why not? Let's just talk like a normal person. And so I wrote about this in the Aquila Report, and then you can see other things that I've written there. I put a link to see um, all the other things, and I've got several things in the Washington Times, several things at Tribune, lots of things at Fox News, and various things that just kind of hit me and I write from the perspective of, of caregivers, you know, and, and I, I see these things differently. We talk about um, our government being $30 trillion in debt. And so I often write about things like stewardship, which is a word that we don't use a lot in our society. But we as caregivers understand that concept. We have to be good stewards of our resources, including ourselves, because we are the primary resource for somebody who is impaired or is extremely needy? Are we being good stewards? And if we have a mountain of debt, how do we care for someone else? Well, think about that from a political point, from our nation. If we have a mountain of debt, how can we care for ourselves? Let's look at the southern border, national security. If we have no boundaries, how can we be a healthy nation? I mean, think about it. It's not a political issue. It's a stewardship issue. Now, it's made into a political issue because people have agendas that they want to compromise stuff. They want to alter this. But you and I know as caregivers that the uh, healthiest way to take care of someone is to incorporate appropriate boundaries in our life. And, And when we don't, we're overrun by the needs of the loved one we're caring for. Sometimes we have to take a step back. Sometimes we have to secure a border, a boundary. Well, what's so hard about that? And so those are things that apply in the political world that we as caregivers understand. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. We talked about that in the last block. You know, when we're fretting all the time, when we're getting all torqued up about stuff. Well, our country right now is just this toxic brew of fret. I mean, everybody is just dealing with high levels of anxiety. And how is that going to help us be a healthy nation? We're just mountains in debt. Everybody's at each other's throat. We are, uh, we are split down the middle. We've got 
this now this thing with Roe versus Wade. We got all these things that are just clawing at us. How in the world are we going to be a healthy nation? And I think that we look to the principles that help us become healthy caregivers. It's the same way. We need more grace. We need a sense of purpose and direction that unites us. How, oh, oh, these are things we talk about in this show. <laughs> and we need good stewardship. A GPS, if you will. This is Peter Rosenberger. we got more to go. We've got a great interview in the next block. We'll be right back. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Hey, moms and dads, are you at your wit's end? Hi, this is Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm so grateful for the partnership we have with American Family Radio. We share a common goal to bring hope to hurting families through the life-changing medium of radio. Be sure to listen Saturday afternoons at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Find help and hope for your family with Parenting Today's Teens. Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Imagine a giant dam that is in danger of uh, collapsing, crumbling, and uh, there's a village below filled with people who are in danger of being flooded. And a group of concerned townspeople go up and they push up against that dam. Then they know ultimately their effort is futile. Ultimately, that dam is going to burst. And that's really what we Christians are trying to do. We're not going to save this culture. We're not going to prevent its ultimate collapse. But we're to push back against evil for as long as we can to give people an opportunity to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a preservative, pushing back against evil, but at the same time, we're to be sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe we're to get involved and not get in our spiritual silos and wait for the end to come. A reminder from American Family Radio. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. I want to introduce you to a special guest, Jeremy Stalnecker from the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I'll let him tell you what this organization is about. They captured my heart. This is something I've been thinking about for a very long time, and these folks are actually doing it. I'm very grateful to hear what they are about and what they're doing, the impact they're having. And so, Jeremy, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Peter. Really appreciate it. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. First off, tell me your background. You're sure. a serviceman. You were, you were in the Marines. Correct. Yes. I uh, served the United States Marine Corps. I um, did a number of things, but I was deployed in 2003 as part of the initial invasion into Iraq. So we all kind of remember all that was going on at that time, January of that year. My unit was deployed. We were supposed to stay on the border between Kuwait and Iraq and just 
show of presence. And a couple of months later in March, we um, actually went in. We breached the berm, secured the southern objective in the country, made our way to Baghdad, and uh, eventually came back, of course, uh, June of that year, June of 2003, came back from Iraq and almost immediately processed out of the Marine Corps, kind of a crazy time, and um, went into full-time ministry. So uh, weird transition. <laughs> and people always ask me, was that a good transition? It was not a good transition. It was a transition, though, and uh, transitioned out of the Marine Corps a month after being involved in combat. I was serving on a church staff and uh, began um, a long journey. Again, that was 2003. Served as an associate pastor there for five years and then pastored a church in the San Francisco Bay Area for another seven years. And in the process of all of that, um, met uh, Chad Robichaux, who is founding the Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, Mighty Oaks Programs, uh, which we'll talk about here in just a second. At that time, and so while I was pastoring, I was helping him get that off the ground. And that was uh, back in 2012. And we've been doing this ever since. So, uh, yeah, at one point, God brought the ministry and the military together in my life and has allowed me to use both of those things to hopefully be a blessing and a help to families. My dad chaplain in the Navy for many, many, mm -hmm. many years. And, and he spent the last three or four years specifically with uh, Marines at Lejeune. Uh, sure. Do you ever spend any time at Lejeune? I spent all of my time. Well, I spent my training time in Quantico, Virginia, and then my uh, my time serving in uh, California at Camp Pendleton. He impressed on me some of the needs going on in military families. And during the time when you were there, we started going up to Walter Reed. My wife mm -hmm. and I saw a lot of these combat yeah. wounded men yeah. and women coming yep. back for the first time. And this was a little bit of a a jar, well, it wasn't a little bit. It was a jarring thing for our country to see women coming back as is severely wounded, many, many amputees. My yeah. wife is a double amputee. And so mm -hmm. she was asked to come up there uh, to spend some time with a lot of these folks uh, repeatedly. In yeah. fact, she, um, she sang for the groundbreaking, uh, groundbreaking ceremony of the amputee training center at Walter Reed. Wow. Some years ago. Wow. And, and it was, um, and I, and as I spent time with family members of combat wounded individuals, uh, you know, I, I could see the, uh, the the fear, the angst, the heartache, the, the the sometimes the abject terror, the despair, all this was going on, and and I I know that uh, the residual impact of these wounds that a lot of guys are receiving, a lot of girls are receiving, um, can last a lifetime, and not sure. just the physical wounds, the the yep. psychological wounds. A lot of people yep. got their bell rung pretty hard with these IEDs, and the neurological trauma lasts a very long time. Right. Uh, right. maybe for the rest of their lives sure. and for family members, that's a big part of it. And then uh, the, the things such as um, alcoholism and addiction play a part in all these things. So tell me about the mighty Oaks foundation. Tell me what you guys yeah. lock in on and, and share your heart and your ministry on this. We have been serving essentially three, you could say four communities since we began the, the veteran community. That's those who have served. And early on, it was almost entirely combat veterans, those coming out of Afghanistan and Iraq. That's why we started. Over the years, that has changed. We have now, I mean, we've had com, uh, Korean War veterans, Vietnam veterans, uh, veterans of Desert Storm on into Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, now we have many folks who are veterans who served who are not combat veterans. And so they're bringing other things into our programs. But veterans, active duty service members, we've had a tremendous open door with the active duty community, which is incredible trying to help 
folks get the skills they need before something bad happens in their life to be able to move forward. And then the first responder community. So more and more police officers and uh, firefighters, those in the first responder community dealing with many of the same things. And then the fourth community would be spouses, and that can be men or women, but the spouses of those who have served. And primarily what we deal with are those who are struggling with some degree of trauma. Now, again, that can be combat trauma. It can be trauma related to just their service more broadly, particularly in the first responder community. Maybe it's trauma that they experienced as a child. Many experienced uh, childhood sexual trauma and other traumas as a, ch a child, as children, that they take into the military, they take into their service, whatever it is they dealt with or saw, experienced, it exacerbated the problems, and now they are overwhelmed. That trauma from their past has become something that's prevented any kind of forward movement. As you mentioned, they often then will get involved in um, taking care of that themselves, self-medicating through drugs and alcohol, other illicit behaviors. And all of those things come together to create a very, um, a very hopeless situation for the service member, for the first responder, and for their families. In many cases, someone who has served, they have a family, maybe they've spent you know, 20 years in the military, maybe much less, but they come back a different person. If there's a physical handicap, uh, something you know that happens physically that's more understandable in in a maybe a psychological way than as you mentioned the unseen wounds the post traumatic stress and now we're learning more about uh, traumatic brain injuries and those things that alter behavior and alter uh, really personalities and so these families are struggling to get back uh, what they had they don't know the person that came home to them they don't know what's going on what's wrong they can't um, understand even how to deal with that we work with the service member, the veteran, the first responder through one of our programs. We have week-long programs where they come to a facility that um, is, uh, they're a little bit different from place to place, but uh, maybe a ranch or retreat center, typically pretty isolated. They come and they spend a week with us. And we talk about what trauma is, what it's not. Most importantly, we talk about how they can move forward, how they can align their life to the life they were created to live, that God is as God, he is the creator. He created them with purpose, with meaning, with value. And if they'll learn to align their lives to that, then so many of the other things that have a hold on them, although they don't go away, we don't forget the trauma is still there. The memories are there, but they no longer control us and we can move forward in spite of that. And so we'll help that person who's dealing with that trauma, again, whatever the cause, to move into that. And then on the other side of that, we do our best to help them reintegrate back into their families to help their families as they're trying to understand some of these things, providing context and ultimately hope and understanding that things are different. They will be different, but there is hope and there certainly can be a great life for those that will understand, you know, what God has for them. So very broadly, and that's a, that's a very broad brushstroke, but that's what we do. And, you know, we try to walk then the course of life beyond our program with these families. Uh, Jeremy, I'm just, I'm really moved by this. I got a buddy of mine who's a retired cop and lives out here with us. Now we, um, we moved from Nashville, mm. um, several years back to a family's place out here in Montana. And oh, yeah. we, um, when I was in Nashville for many, many, many years, we lived there for over 35 years. Wow. It certainly had a lot of folks from Fort Campbell and, uh, would hear from chaplains and so forth where they were struggling with, um, you know, spouses would wake up and they're husband and usually it was the case in this particular thing would, would have a loaded 45 be sitting mm -hmm. up yep. and, and, and this cop that I know out here that he said, it's taken me several years just to come out here and bleed off from just the high alert that he was on. He worked night shift 
hmm. in Seattle for years. I mean, you can imagine uh, yep. the, the intensity yep. of vigilance. Yep. And, and I don't think people have a, a great understanding of what it costs a human being to stay on that level of vigilance. Sure. Talk about that, because I'm sure you're seeing this with these first responders. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the struggles that first responders have is that they're always on and there's not a break. When you look at someone who is on a military deployment, a lot of crazy things can happen over the course of that deployment. Very traumatic things can happen over the course of that deployment. And then they come home. Now they may go back, but there's a break. There's physical separation. There's time separation emotional separation, and hopefully they'll be able to get some help in that process. And many don't. That's why we exist. However, in the first responder community, uh, same traumatic events can take place. And it's a day in and day out series of events. Uh, I'm a chaplain with our local fire department here. And one of the firefighters described it this way. And I think it was such a great picture. He said, one minute you're scraping up the remains of a child who was killed in a car accident. And then you have to go back to the station and change your uniform because now there's a community pancake breakfast you need to be a part of. There's never an opportunity to deal with what you've had to deal with. And so, again, the self-medication and just, you know, harmful, <laughs> destructive behaviors, um, then those behaviors are dealt with by families, as you've mentioned. Uh, and, and so there has to be a context for that. And that's why you know, we're not a clinical program, although there is a place for that. I'm not against that, um, but we're not that. What we do is try to put what has happened, what is happening in its right context as those who have been created by God. When you talk about the emotional toll, the physical toll, and then the spiritual toll, if there's not a spiritual context or relationship with God, uh, then it is very, very difficult. I, I would suggest impossible to move forward in a meaningful way until you get that that taken care of. I, I, well said. I, I agree that the, the understanding of, of God's provision and faithfulness and, and loving kindness in the midst of such right. horrific things right. is a hard thing for people to wrap their hearts and minds mm -hmm. around. And yet that is the path towards healing. Are you seeing, um, for example, those who are involved in child protective services and so forth that are scarred by some of the things they've had to do, do they come into your program as well? We have these conversations a lot. The, the short answer is no. Um, there is a criteria for being a part of our program, veteran, active duty service member, first responder, or spouse. However, we regularly have uh, folks who reach out to us, many in the medical profession. We've expanded some of our understanding of what a first responder is to include nurses and even, um, in, in many cases, um, those who are working kind of peripheral to some of the first responder areas, uh, whether it's dispatchers, things like that. Uh, that we'll bring in and try to help. And so we don't have a program specifically for many other areas where there is trauma. You, you mentioned a great one, Child Protective Services, but we do our best to provide other resources, written resources, books on our website. We have hundreds of videos, as many other resources as we possibly can to provide help to those who are struggling for other reasons. The, it, again, this is just a, an extraordinary work that you guys are doing, and I, I'm, I'm thrilled to learn more about you all and, and find out what you're doing. I'm talking to Jeremy Stalnecker from Mighty Oaks Foundation. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Their website is Mighty Oaks. Uh, found, is it Mighty Oaks Foundation? Mighty Oaks Programs.org. Yeah, Mighty Oaks Programs.org. And you can go out and see more about it. We're going to talk a little bit more when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back.
Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give They go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. Hey, I'm Chris Tomlin. No matter how trapped you might feel by drug or alcohol addictions, there is a way to break free and find a new life in Jesus Christ. I stayed sober for eight years. And then when my kids grew up and moved out of the house, I lost my identity. I didn't know what to do, so I turned back to drugs. It took a matter of two months, and I'm back into heavy use. You hit a desperation where you just want to quit, but you can't. And honestly, when I walked in the door as a teen challenge, I just wanted to die. But with Christ, it has changed. I have a purpose. And walking with God, that's the only thing that can keep me sober because I've tried everything else. Adult and Teen Challenge helps people find freedom from addictions to drugs and alcohol. If you or a loved one is ready to experience a new life of freedom and hope, you can call Teen Challenge toll-free at 1-855-END-ADDICTION or visit them online at teenchallengeusa.org. You're listening to American Family Radio. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We are talking with Jeremy Stalnecker from Mighty Oaks Foundation, the Mighty Oaks Foundation. It's mightyoaksprograms.org. Talking about their work in with active duty veterans, uh, combat wounded, first responders, and so many more that come their way that they are also able to at least point in the right direction. They have very specific programs for those individuals. And I want to talk about that. I, I mentioned a friend of mine who's a retired cop. I got another guy that I was talking to who was a um, sheriff for, for, I think, almost 30 years. And he said something to me, and I don't know if this has come up in the car. I can't imagine it hasn't come up in the conversation, but I wanted you to talk about it. He said, I was so enmeshed in being around bad guys that I didn't know how to connect with normal, decent people. Sure. Is that something that, that you guys have resonated with and, and talked about? Yeah. So maybe not that specifically, but when you asked earlier, if we have other folks who are dealing with trauma, such as child protective services, folks come through our programs, we don't. And we try to provide as many resources as we possibly can to, to anyone who's struggling. Trauma is a universal human problem. It's not reserved for those who've served in the military or in, the, in law enforcement or the fire service. Um, but the reason we limit who can attend our program to those categories that we've already discussed is because those who have served in those areas, whether they're in the military or they're in the first responder community, they really have in many ways, either out of necessity or just out of habit and time, 
erected walls around their lives where they won't allow people who are not in that world to speak into their life. In the example that you just gave, a police officer could say, there's no one that understands what it's like to be me, to do the work that I do, to deal with the things that I do. I spend my time around the worst that society has to offer all the time. And people that haven't done that can't possibly know how to help me. That's a, that's a, I would say at least it feels like a valid concern and a valid uh, comment or position. So when we set up our programs, everyone who instructs in our program, everyone who teaches a class or leads a small group over the week that they're with us, everyone has been to our program, has come through our program as a graduate, has been trained by us uh, for over a year to be able to lead those classes, to lead those small groups which means they're approaching the students from a position of lived experience. They're police officers who can look at another police officer and say, I know exactly what you're dealing with because I've done that. I was there. I was where you are. I sat where you're sitting. And then I came to this place and I learned some things and I want to help you. It's very much a peer-to-peer -peer mentor, uh, mentorship type of relationship. Same with our veterans and our service members. I know where you've been. I know where you are. I've been there myself. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm starting to move forward. And, you know, particularly in these, these areas that we're discussing, they're so unique in society and they almost lend towards self-isolation. You're separate from everyone else. You need someone who's been there to speak into your life, to at least initially tear down the walls so that truth can be spoken. And that's been very, very helpful for us. What is a success story that comes to your mind that just obviously just gripped your heart that you look at and you said, this is why we're doing this kind of thing. What's one, what's one of those kind of stories? And there, there are so many, we've had over 4,000 people come through one of our week long programs and we've seen so many incredible things happen. Thousands and thousands of folks we've spoken to in other venues. Uh, I'll tell you what's kind of top of mind right now. We started this week, one of our first responder programs It's happening right now. And uh, our first responder program was really something that was started out of need. First responders came to us and said, we need what you're doing with veterans. And we started to work with them. A couple of years ago, we had um, a police officer from the Tulsa PD. And it was a time when a lot of crazy things were happening in Tulsa in particular. There had been the murder of a police officer, some other um, incidents involving police officers. He came because he had tried everything else. He was about to lose his job. He came to our program. And uh, God worked in his life radically. Since that time, we've had over 50 Tulsa PD currently serving police officers attend our program. And he went back. He said, God worked in my life. This has changed everything for me. He's still there. He's still working. And not only that, but he's bringing his brothers and sisters in blue from that department to come through the program. And that is a success story because that's God working in a life, turning a life around, and then redeeming that life for the benefit of others. Those are those are deeply moving stories to hear that because I, I, as I've talked to some of these law enforcement, the the, the suicide rate uh, among combat veterans and and wounded veterans and well, all of our veterans, I think it's yeah. still is it still twenty two? Yeah, I and mean, we it's hard to know the the numbers lag. In fact, I was on a meeting last week and they said we're two years behind. I don't know why that is, but we say it's about twenty two a day. We don't know the exact number. The first responder number has gone up to. Uh, over four, they say four and a half a day because of the pandemic and other things. Um, yeah, it's, it's a horrible, horrible situation. The first responder community, the numbers aren't as good <laughs> because there's not a central database, but they're very high as well amongst police officers and firefighters. Well, and and the, the carnage that is left in the wake of those 
events, those horrific events, uh, the kids and and family members and parents. And, you know, it just, it's, it's indescribable. And we have a responsibility to care for these individuals who have put themselves on the line. Yeah. That's absolutely uh, and, right. And God bless you all for what you're doing. You. Mighty Oaks Foundation, Mighty Oaks Programs.org, Mighty Oaks Programs.org. And this is Jeremy Stallnecker. This is Peter Roseberger with Hope for the Caregiver. And we're um, glad to bring this to you all to, to, to learn about this program, to see how people are rising up and meeting a need. God has obviously um, put this on your hearts. You've been on. Uh, so many different media programs and outlets talking about this and God bless you for what you're doing. Uh, Jeremy, any, any last thoughts before we go here? I think the one last thought I would always have is there is always hope. So many think that uh, life is hopeless. There is no direction. There's no purpose. There's nothing that can be done. There's always something that can be done. There's always hope. And there are people who really want to help you get there. So uh, reach out. Don't stay in a hopeless place. Well said. Thank you very much, Jeremy Stallnecker, MightyOaksPrograms.org, and it's the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Please go out and take a look and just see how you can be a part of this, how you can point people to their services. Uh, we, we are asking for you to be able to connect folks to this wonderful program. You're going to know people that are hurting. Let them know about it, okay? Don't just stand on the sidelines. Let's get our sleeves rolled up, and let's reach into people's heartache and point them to safety. Jeremy, thanks so much for being a part of the program today. Uh, we're going to have you back on some more. We'll, this awesome. will be an ongoing conversation. Great. Well, thank this you, Peter. I really caregiver. appreciate it. Yes, sir. We're going to end up with a special song from Gracie from her CD, Resilient. You can go out to hopeforthecaregiver.com and see how to get this CD. If you know somebody who's struggling, who's going through the things we talked about today, this is the song for them. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. Here's Gracie. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. I know, I know the plans I have for you.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.